previously on Film Code. Phoenix stumped the guys again with his code word, making sure no one gained another point. So I am happy to report that no one gets a point this week. Thank yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, your movie is from 2007. Uh, your actor who appeared in this uh, phase two of the MCU. Actually, this movie features two of them. It is the first appearance of Scarlett Johansson in Iron Man 2. And also that same movie stars Rebecca Hall, who uh, is in this movie with the problem problematic director, Woody Allen, who uh, if you're paying attention to the uh, uh, Alan Farrell documentary, currently on HBO this is not a this is not going well for Woody Allen but uh, that movie is Vicky Cristina Barcelona that is where the Espanol comes from also stars Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz that is your oh, code okay. word this week yes now yes, it it's Brandon's turn will his code word leave the guys completely stumped once again or will Nathan take an unbelievable lead? Also, the guys have finally seen the last movie in their 2020 Oscar watch list. It's The Father. What thoughts will they have on this movie from Sony Pictures Classics? And the guys finish up their discussion on the best casting decisions of the decade. All that and more on this week's episode of Film Code. How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to Film Code. Got a great episode for you today. We're reviewing the last Best Picture nomination that we have to see, at least. Yep. It's a smaller cast today. It's just Nick and I, the two roommates, but nonetheless, still got a great show for you today. Nick, what's going on? Nothing much. Just just out here. Um, excited to talk about The Father, like Nathan said. This is our last Best Picture nom that we haven't seen um, before the 2019 Oscars, we'd seen everything, but this just came out this week. So super excited to talk about it. And my name is Nathan Pig. It's going to be an absolute pleasure spending a little bit of time with you guys talking about movies. I just want to emphasize before we start talking about The Father, this is probably the most frustrating movie to find out where it was available. I think I've ever had to deal with. First of all, it said its release date was February 26th or 28th or something like that. That was only for New York and LA theaters. And then our local theater here didn't end up showing it. I kept looking, is, is this a Netflix original? Is it an HBO Max original? Like, where is this going to be? Is it on a streaming platform? No, it's only in theaters, but they don't directly tell you that after a Google search. You kind of just have to assume that. It, it, was, it was just very frustrating. We finally got to see it nonetheless. So um, happy to talk about it. Let's get into it. We're going to first give our non-spoiler reviews for the Father, I know a lot of people probably have not seen it yet, so we will give our non-spoiler thoughts and then make it very clear when we're talking spoilers. So this film stars Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman, two best, uh, best actor and a best actress winner. Fantastic cast for such a small cast. Well, let's give our non-spoiler thoughts now. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I was... wasn't over the moon excited about this one as some of the other best picture noms but nonetheless just excited to, to talk about it here but um it turned out to be one of my i think like top five of 2020 which isn't saying a lot but um still top five ish nonetheless um so this is very similar to another movie that we reviewed on the show a couple months back i'm thinking of ending things just a little bit of a different twist to that yeah and the similarities to this and I'm thinking of anything shouldn't turn people off right away. I know I'm thinking of anything. This is such a, a divisive movie that people are very split on, including the hosts on this show. Luckily we're the ones that love it and get yeah, to right. talk about it. But nonetheless, if you hate it, I'm thinking of anything. Don't go into this thinking you're going to hate this because they are different. 
They're very different. They just tackle a lot of the same subject matter. So I would just know that going in. It was interesting seeing these two come out in the same year, I guess. They'll both be competing at 2020. Um, but it was just very interesting seeing such a unique idea being tackled in the various ways that they did. Anthony Hopkins delivers such a great performance. It's a shame that he has to go up against Chadwick this year because I really feel like he would win almost any other year. Don't think he would have beat Joaquin Phoenix last year either, but man, I mean, this is just a shame that he delivers this performance and is not going to win. Yeah. I was going to say he does put in a, a really solid performance here too. Olivia Coleman as well, um, both nominated for their respective roles, but I feel like there's always that, that one person every year last year, it was Adam driver this year. It's Anthony Hopkins of people who could probably get, get the win on another year, but just this year, I think the, the best actor is locked up two years in a row that it's kind of been like that. So, yeah, it, it's a shame because like I said, he, he puts in a performance that's good enough to win and as talented as Hopkins is, he doesn't have a whole lot of time left to win these major awards. So it's just a shame. It, it's incredible that he is putting in such great performance at his age though. Wonderful. Wonderful. Let's, Let's move on and just talk about the story. I think, again, non-spoiler wise, this is a very relatively easy story to follow. I would think whether you're just a casual viewer or you watch a ton of movies and resonate with a bunch of themes and ideas, uh, I still think this is an easy movie to follow. This won't You won't be in over your head like you were for a lot of 2020 movies. Yeah, I was going to say, luckily, the big trend for 2020 – I'm talking Nomadland, Judas and the Black Messiah, um, Minari, a lot of the films nominated for Best Picture. It's like the story is very lacking, and it's like, yeah, there's good filmmaking. It looks good. The cinematography is good, but that's about it. The entertainment level is very low, and if you're a listener of the show, you know that I am not a big fan of Minari. Mank is, is very similar, very film focus heavy versus story but this is not not that of course it looks good and all that kind of stuff but the story is is fantastic as well it's engaging too you would think for i mean and and this is not a spoiler again this is just in the synopsis this is about a father and i guess you couldn't have guessed that one but it's about anthony hopkins who is an older man and he refuses to take uh, treatment from his daughter. His daughter's trying to get him some help because he's an aging person and he refuses to to receive this help. And that doesn't sound like an interesting movie right off the bat, but it definitely is. I mean, they keep you engaged. I would be lying if I said I was on the edge of my seat the whole time, but I was never bored like I was Nomadland or One Night in Miami. But this does a fantastic job of engaging with you. Spoiler, this will be in my top five. Um, it will be in Nick's top five, so that's great. Why don't we go ahead and and start talking spoilers? If you're still here, we're talking the father spoilers, so be warned. Um, this film, I would say I don't really notice editing too much in films. That's just not my style. Yeah, I can't really tell a, a great edited film versus an okay edited film. That's just not my viewing habits i don't i'm just not able to recognize that that's not a strength of mine the editing in this movie i could definitely tell i definitely could tell and and just with the nature of it again we're talking spoilers with his dementia and with seeing scenes kind of out of order scenes not being remembered especially with how they play with certain characters and how they play with certain settings it the editing was fantastic yeah i was gonna say the the editing was fantastic there's this one scene where you know anthony hopkins walks in on um olivia coleman's character and and her husband talking about just trying to get him help and how he needs to get out of the house and and everything like that and then you think that's where the scene goes he sits down at dinner they you know do their dinner and then he gets up to go somewhere and then he comes back and it's like rolls right into that scene you're like oh man like the editing is just on a different level and in the way that they lay everything out non-chronologically at that point with the scene you're talking about we kind of had a feeling what was going on you and i but 
the fact that that scene starts with the ending of the scene was, was very bizarre. It was very cool. The way that it was laid out. Oh my goodness. It was, it was fascinating. Yeah. And I think that's just one of a many, many examples, but just starting from the beginning, I was super nervous that this was going to be a one night in Miami, a, a Ma Rainey where these play adaptations are just very constricted to one period in time, one area. And while yes, there was like two or three locations that this was filmed at, um, it didn't take place all in the same time span. Luckily, like one night in Miami and Ma Rainey, I just, I'm not a fan of those. I feel like they just not like lack substance, but there's just something that's missing when you are only filming in one location and everything is in a 24 hour period. And I was so thankful that it didn't go that way, whether it's this new trend because of COVID and you have to limit yourself uh, just shooting wise. Fine. But I really hope this is not a trend um and luckily it wasn't here no not at all it wasn't over one day it wasn't just two characters three characters the whole time and it wasn't in one location i loved how they manipulated you and i love how you were able to see through the eyes of the person with dementia i i just thought that was so so fantastic and so well done the fact that a a movie that i want to compare this to and before you jump um, let me explain myself. A movie that I like to compare this to is Memento. And I do not like Memento. You do not like Memento. Let's get that out of the way. I think Memento is very overrated. The fact, though, that Memento shows you something from the lead character's perspective and you don't really understand what's going on, how that happened, how it got there. You know, if you've seen Moment- Memento, and I'm not going to spoil that either one scene he'll be in a house and then it'll cut to black. And then the next scene he'll be in the bathroom of a totally different house with, with like a gun. And you'll be like, well, how did that happen? How did we get to this point? And it shows you exactly what that happened. You you live through the character's perspective of as the audience, you don't know what's going on. The lead character doesn't know what's going on. And I feel like in this instance, they're pretty similar. You don't, the lead character sees something that he thinks is going on, but that never actually happened or he didn't remember it that way. So you're just as confused as Anthony, which is funny that it, that's his name. I think it's the British accent. His well, name is Anthony, but the, <laughs> for our British listeners out there, Anthony. It's fascinating. And I, I want to draw at least that a little bit yeah. of similarity that in both movies, you are able to experience exactly what the main character is, not knowing what's real and what's not. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and for, I think they did a really good job at kind of, putting you in the shoes of the main character who has dementia and it makes you watching through this. It makes you question what was real, what actually happened. Like you're confused, but it's more of like a, I need to figure this out. Like kind of let me thought provoking confusion rather than a, a tenant confusion. Um, and I think they do that really well. So let's kind of talk about what was what was real and what wasn't. What do you what do you make of of everything? What we know what was real was that he is in a, a nursing home, some type of uh, elderly care facility. We can assume that's real, uh, at least I right. think it is. And then everything we see from his apartment is that real? Is it stuff that's happened in the past? So- basically the way I interpret it right is that he was in the apartment with Anne and her husband, Paul, I I think, or James, one of the two. Um, She was, and he was being taken care of that, you know, he had gone off on a, a caretaker and they brought in a new one and that didn't work out either. So they decided to bring him to a nursing home because Anne was going to live in Paris with a new guy who, after she had divorced. And I think because of his dementia and Alzheimer's, he just kind of forgot that period of time where he went from being in, in the apartment with his daughter to 
going straight into the the nursing home and i think that's kind of where see and that's where i'm a little confused because the scene where the scene we praised about them at the dinner table and the husband who was a jerk to him um you know talking about put him in a home which timeline i guess isn't the right word but which reality are we looking at here because if the reality of her having to go to paris to to live with her boyfriend, her future husband, whomever, her going to Paris, no one would have lived in that house with her, unless it's her ex, maybe. I, I don't, but I thought he had said that she... And see, I think he was just, like, misremembering things that happened in the past. And because there there are scenes... Where there's no husband. Right, there are scenes where there's no husband. There's, and they set this up awesome. There's scenes where... Olivia Coleman's character is not Olivia Coleman because he doesn't remember her. And because of that, we see through his eyes that he doesn't remember her. So it's a completely different person. And I think the way that they do that is fantastic. They even set it up in a scene previous where they say, you know, he doesn't remember me, you know, he doesn't remember. And, and I think they use that, to their advantage in, in this movie. And, and the same thing with the husband is sometimes he's a different person. Um, and I, I think it's laid out like that. I mean, we never watched an explained video. We never watched, and you know, yeah. we never read the Wikipedia page. So, cause I think we pretty much have a grasp on it. It's right. just more so the, the, specifics the specifics of what actually happened versus what, right. like we know the general themes and ideas it's trying to tackle, but the specifics of what really happened versus what didn't, I think, is a little bit uh, foggy. Yeah. So did he act? Did she actually have a husband that was mean to him? I think so. And then she broke up with him. Yeah. And then maybe maybe years passed or months passed, and she met someone new. Told him, "I'm going to live in Paris," and he yeah. just remembers that all happening around the same time, even though they were months years apart yeah okay i like that and i want to talk about florian zeller what a phenomenal directorial debut you know i think 2020 was for as bad of a year it was for movies it was a fantastic year for directorial debuts yeah you have florian zeller for the father emerald Fennell for promising a woman regina king for one night in miami uh chloe Zhao did not make her directorial debut with, with nomadland but that certainly put her on the map Lee Isaac Chung with Minari. So there, 2020 was not a great year for movies. We'll be the first people in line to tell you that. It's one of the weakest years, I think, ever. But when it comes to directorial debuts, there were some absolute bombshells that, that just rocked the, the movie world. And I think it's absolutely one of them. Yeah, I was going to say, I was just kind of perusing over the the Wikipedia page and and just going back to to what I was saying earlier about how I think it's, I don't think it's memories. The only thing that, that makes me think would think that is because they used some of the same actors for things. Um, I mean, his daughter Lucy is the same person his new caretaker. And maybe that's why they remind of each other. The two nurses at the end were the two replacement people who he thought they were. So, I don't know what you think of that, but yeah, I mean, this year, no doubt was weak, but I think it was definitely a top heavy year where in 2019, you have so many solid movies. I mean, just looking at my 2019 ranked more than solid. Yeah. I was going to say, looking at my 2019 ranked, I have 19 movies that are four stars and above for 2020. I have like seven. Yeah. I I have six movies that are four star and above. And I think that just shows the quality. And and if I went down the list, I could even show the disparities in the quality, but I still think that we have a top heavy. I think the father's solid. I think, you know, the, the best picture noms, most of them are, some of them are solid. (laughs) Well, that's a good transition. Do we think 
honestly in your heart, not what you want, what you think. Do you think this has a slugging chance for best picture win? Uh, see, and, and I break this up, right. Um, into, into three different tiers of just looking at my 2020 best picture nominees list, right. Promising young women trial, the Chicago seven are movies that I would be excited about winning best picture. I'd be over the moon. Like they deserve it. I would be excited. Nomadland, Judas and the black Messiah sound of metal are three movies where I'd be like, eh, really? You'd be in with sound of metal. No, excuse me. Excuse me. Nomadland and Judas. I'd be like, eh, I mean, I'm not happy about it, but it could be worse. And Sound of Metal, Minari, and Mank are the movies that I would be uh, upset about if they won. The Father falls in between Over the Moon, Excited, and eh. It's kind of like, okay, yeah, I mean, that's, that's fine. I, I think it kind of perfectly falls into that. I wouldn't be mad if it won, but I could see myself saying, yeah, there there's better movies that could have won. But not what you want. Do you think it has a slugging chance? No. And why is that? I just don't think it's what the Academy wants. I think Nomadland has, has for the most part, got this locked up for Best Picture. I just do. I think seeing the way award season has gone, yeah. I just think it's it's got it pretty much locked up. If anyone can slide in there and beat it. Now, this isn't a guarantee or anything. I'm not sitting here betting my house on Nomadland winning. I just think the way following the way the award season has gone so far – it's certainly looking that way. Yeah. Well, last if, year, if I was a betting man, I would have bet uh, 1917 or Once yeah, Upon a Time in Hollywood. And, and certainly there's room for an upset. If anything slides in and beats Nomadland, in my mind, it's Minari. And these are not what I want to happen. No. This is what's, what I believe is going to happen. I think Minari's picked up so much steam over the last month and is riding in the Oscar season with a ton of momentum. The Father, I just... I don't want to sit here and say not enough people have seen it for it to win because they don't care about that. The Academy doesn't care about that. Look, they picked Moonlight and almost nobody saw that when it won. So I just, I think the father is great. I think it's better than both those movies. I just talked about Minari and Nomadland. I don't think it's got a chance to win just based off of what the Academy's track record is for picking movies that are, important tackle such a big concept and while the father does tackle a big concept um not everyone can really relate to it at that point in time well, and i just don't see it winning see i think if we're if we're going to be ranking best picture well chances I, I think yeah go ahead i was gonna say not to make this a best picture no it's not talk but i think nomadland for me would be one i think Promising Young Woman or Trial of Chicago 7, 2, 3, and then I think Minari 4. And the only reason why I think Minari is 4 is because of Parasite. Minari, to the eyes of the Academy, I think is just too similar to Parasite. And, you know, I think there, the argument of Parasite walked so Minari could run, I think, is valid. I think that, you know, Minari getting all this attention could be because parasite kind of opened the doors for them but i just don't see them nominating two very very similar movies in 2018 green book won, and if they i i don't know a movie that's comparable in 2019 to that but if they queen and slim maybe maybe yeah but i just don't see two movies that are so similar being nominated back to or being being winners back-to-back years. It'd be like a, a Zodiac winning one year and then, you know, Ted Bundy or Charles Manson movie winning the next year. Well, but anyway, let's get back to The Father. Going back to The Father, I just – I would love to see this win. I just don't see it happening. I just see it, it – it's a very good movie, but to me it's a – it's a Ford v. Ferrari. It's a – from 2019. It's a – Gosh, I'm I'm struggling for other. It's an it's an arrival from 2016, and while I think Arrival is a much better movie than The Father, I just think that from the concept of La La Land, Moonlight, those were going to dominate that year. Like 
just looking back at it now that we know the Moonlight won. And of course, La La Land was such a titan that year for the Oscars. And then you look at 2019, Ford v. Ferrari didn't have a prayer at Best Picture. No. Not over Marriage Story, Little Women, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 1917, and of course, Parasite. It didn't have a prayer. Like It's a very good movie, but it doesn't have a prayer. I think The Father has a little bit of a prayer. It could absolutely slide in. And I'd be stunned, though, if it won. I'd be stunned. I think, like I said, this is Nomadland. This is Minari's. Maybe Trial. Maybe Judas. But other than that, I don't think the rest really have a, have a shot. So... The father, I, I just think Anthony Hopkins, it's going to be a travesty. Tra- Chadwick deserves it. I'm happy for Chadwick that he's going to win this award, especially given everything he was dealing with during the performance. I'm very happy for him. Me saying Anthony Hopkins not winning is a tragedy is not a shot at Chadwick Boseman by any means. It's just a shame that Anthony Hopkins, in his old age, with a movie like this, is not going to win Best Actor. Well, I think he won already with... Sound of, or yeah, sound no, of the Lambs, yeah. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying he's not going to win this year. No, I know. But um, you're right. I, I just think that, yes, it it shows some good things about dementia and Alzheimer's, about how it could be. But I don't think it's a movie that says a lot. You know what I mean? Like, yes, it's it's very entertaining and thought provoking about dementia, and it, it makes you enough. it makes you it puts you in the shoes of somebody in that position, which I think for what they were were trying to do for it, they did everything they wanted to do. And I'm not saying everything has to say something, but I feel like in order to win Best Picture these days, you have to say something about something like. You know, in 2000s, one, two, and three, all the Lord of the Rings movies got nominated. We just finished the Lord of the Rings movies. And in today's world, if those had come out last year, this year, and the next year, oh, they, they would not be nominated or even win at all because that's just not what the, the Academy, Academy looks for anymore. I mean, look at the winners from the past couple of years. Green Book, Moonlight, Shape of Water. uh Parasite. Those were all saying spotlight. spotlight. Those were all saying something about something, and the father just doesn't fit this mold. But I think, it, I think that doesn't take away from what this is as a movie. I just want to talk about too how I don't want to even say realistic, but how emotional this movie can be. You know, I wasn't bawling or anything like that. I I didn't cry. Neither did you. But we did say when we were watching, wow, this is devastating. Like, yeah, this, really. is, this is really sad. They were able to really capture someone struggling with this and someone who, you know, this happens to people every day. People can't remember who their own daughter is, what their daughter looks like, where their daughter is, things like that. People are left on their own to deal with this. And it's just, it's so sad. I think it does at least take something that not a whole lot of people think about and shed light on it in a big way. And that is important. I just don't think it's, it's, it's screaming, but it's not quite loud enough to win. But at the end of the day, we shouldn't take away from the fact that it is talking about a very depressing subject matter. And it definitely captures those emotional moments. Yeah. And and also too, is that this movie would not be anywhere what it is if it was through Olivia Coleman's perspective or if it was no. told in chronological order. Pulp Fiction is Pulp Fiction because of how the story was told. This movie will be remembered for how the story was told because of of how convoluted everything was and, and how confused us as an audience was while we were watching it. And I think that just perfectly describes the situation that's going on. I mean, like the amount of times that Anthony lost his watch or, you know, we were like, when, when did this take place? Was this real? Was, was that real? Did that actually happen? Like it was just so convoluted on purpose. And I think it wasn't too convoluted, but it was definitely convoluted on purpose. And if it wasn't told through his eyes, I think, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. I think it would just be another 2020 movie. And I don't think it would have been 
no, nominated I, I, for anything. I completely agree with you. Telling it from the perspective of the person with dementia definitely made this what it is. Yeah. And the performances as well. If oh, this was someone who just delivered an okay performance, it, it would not be talked about nearly as much. But the fantastic script from Florian Zeller, the next thing he's doing is called The Sun, which is hilarious. Funny, yeah. Um, what's not hilarious is what The Sun is going to be about. It's about an adolescent struggling with depression. I can't wait for that movie. Um, I think that Florian Zeller is attempting to tackle major issues within different stages of life. And I think that's absolutely important. So Florian Zeller already has established himself as one of the up and coming stars in the film industry. And especially for tackling movies like this, that talk about dementia, depression, like this is, this is huge. So I'm really excited for that. Right. And another thing too is I just talked about how they tackle it from Anthony Hopkins perspective. They still did a good job of showing Olivia Coleman's struggle with this. I mean, we spent enough time with her, even though it was through Anthony's eyes, we still spent enough time through her to understand how hard of a decision this is for her to be going through. I mean, her sister tragically died and, you know, it seems like Anthony has a hard time letting that go a because of his dementia and he doesn't know, but also B I think there's a subconscious of that was probably his, his favorite child. You can tell through the dialogue of that and you can tell how hard it is for Olivia Coleman's character. And even though it's in Anthony Hopkins perspective, you can still tell how challenging of a decision this is, especially with her deadbeat D-bag husband drinking and trying to, you know, pursue her and kind of push her in different ways and, and kind of being abusive towards Anthony through this tough time in his life. We, we've compared this to a lot of movies already, but I do want to yeah, make really. one last one. Last Pulp Fiction, Tenet, One Night Miami. I mean, we mentioned like I, 20 I, movies. I, I do want to make one more comparison and that's to last year's marriage story. And just in the sense that it's taking something that so many people deal with on a daily basis and something that is sad, you know, and divorce t- kind is of like sad. a hush hush topic. Yeah. Something that you don't really want to talk about and it's showing how everyone is affected by it. Sure. It shows the father shows what's going on through the eyes of the person with dementia but it's showing how everyone involved it affects them. Not only Olivia Coleman, but the caretakers, the people who work at the hospital, um, the people that came in to interview to eventually be his caretaker. It shows everyone and how they're affected by this. And marriage story does the same thing with divorce. I just think we're at a point right now where we're talking about movies and movies are coming out that show realistic problems in life that no one really talks about. And that's just so amazing. I'm so happy that that exists. Yeah, really. Is there anything else that that you want to touch on? This movie's going to fly under the radar for a while just because it's only available in theaters while the pandemic is still raging and not a lot of people are going to see it. So, especially if it doesn't get a lot of love at the Oscars, I just don't think a lot of people are going to see this. So, definitely worth the watch. It's one yeah. of our best of 2020s, especially for how it's made. Um, this is this is just fantastic. And I hope a lot of people do get to see it. Yeah, and, and I'm a true believer in timing of movies matters. I mean, there's a reason why the summer is called the blockbuster season. The winter is called, or the spring, winter, new time of the year is called the the kind of dud season of movies. I mean, there's nothing really coming out. Um, and then the, the fall winter is Oscar season. There's a reason why it's called that. The reason why trial is not going to win is because it came out too close to the summertime and the five bloods didn't even get nominated. And the the five bloods didn't even get nominated. This movie, I think came out in the dud season, but because of the Oscars kind of stretching out their, their time, I mean, we would have already had our Oscars. We would have been moving on to the next cycle by now if everything was was normal. It's not. We're still a month away from 
the Oscars. And I just think this came out too late. And I think that's that's just a real tragedy. I don't think that has an effect on whether it wins Best Picture oh, no, or no, anything no, like no. that because the Academy doesn't care about that. They nominated uh, Minari, which not a lot of people have seen. They nominated The Father, obviously, which not a lot of people have seen. They picked Parasite, which right now is the most viewed movie on Letterboxd, but it's not... It, it, no one had seen it. We had seen it, not a lot. Right, and I'm not yeah. more so speaking about who's seen it. I'm more speaking when it came out. I mean, Minari came out in January, and that's and that's prime season. I mean, 1917 and um, Little Women came out in in early January, and that was the prime season. That that's why I think it's gotten so much momentum. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a rarity coming out in the summer and getting nominated because it was that good. Yeah. But I just don't think that no, is going to impact its chances. It's just not a lot of people have seen it because no, it just doesn't have the momentum. I mean, trial of the Chicago seven had so much momentum in October and November when it came out, but now it's kind of dead because it's been too long. Mm. Minari came out a few months ago and it has so much momentum right now. Right. Same with Nomadland. This, I don't think it's going to have enough, time to get momentum same with same with judas it's kind of the reverse judas had so much momentum and then it came out and then it kind of flopped yeah so Um, in in our minds yeah no in everybody's minds i haven't heard anybody talk talk judas in the black flopped in terms of best picture winning not in terms of a movie overall right 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 all right well let's give our final scores and move on yeah it's going to be a four star which is an a minus for me, it's going to come in at fifth on my 2020 rankings, which is smack dab right in between One Night in Miami, above One Night in Miami, and below I'm Thinking of Ending Things. You know, this is this is a fantastic movie. I would recommend everybody who can check it out, go check it out, um, because it's just not getting the love it deserves. Yeah, this is going to be four stars for me as well, an A-. minus fantastic movie i hoped this would be really good and land at my tops for 2020 and it was it did that it delivered pretty much everything i wanted it to be it's so important it is something everyone needs to see for the performances alone even if you don't necessarily resonate with or appreciate what it's trying to say the performances alone will get you so absolutely check it out it's it's 90 minutes everyone can make time for this if you are available to see it uh, whenever that time comes, I hope it gets some love at the Oscars, no matter whether it's in performance based or editing or, or whatever it may be, but it's four stars for me. It's going to come in at fourth in my 2020 rankings uh, right behind. I'm thinking of ending things, just a fantastic film and overall really happy. We finally got to see it. Definitely. All right. Well, let's move on to our discussion. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. closing book ending our series on best performances of the decade excuse me best castings of the decade not performances and one thing i want to reiterate here in case this is your first time listening to this certain segment is that we're talking about best castings for what that role demands you know i think we talked about these aren't the best castings of all time that's not what we're trying to do we're trying to say your role demands xyz the person came in and they fit exactly what you're looking for. These aren't the best performances ever made. These aren't the best castings ever made. I'll tell you right now, there's some award winners on my list. And there's some things that I'm going to say that you might be like, what you just got to look at what the role demands and what that person brought to the table. That's a perfect casting in our eyes. So we broke this up into four or five segments, starting with 2010 there, however you're listening to this, you can find our other episodes if you want to hear the rest of the series. But right now we're doing 2019 and 2020. This is extremely yeah. fresh on the brain. 
So Nick, why don't you uh, kick us off and, and we'll alternate here. Yeah, really. I mean, you know, before Nathan and I looked at this, we were, we knew we had seen a bunch of 2019s, but I don't think we realized how deep it went. I mean, you can scroll on Letterboxd for days and still see some really solid 2019 movies. And it's kind of crazy how far you can scroll down on Letterboxd. But first one I'm going to go with is a movie that a lot of people um, think is a 2020 movie, but it's not. Um, and that's Bad Education. Um, I don't think Nathan has seen this this movie. Um, I'm going under the radar to, to begin with. Under the radar. Um, Hugh Jackman as um, Frank Tuss... I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. Tazone, Tassin, something. Frank, um, this movie basically is about a school superintendent who um, really wants to be a superstar and, you know, better the education, but there's an embezzlement scheme thrown in there and, and it gets kind of juicy throughout the movie. Um, I love Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman is one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood right now should have been nominated for prisoners uh everybody hates on greatest showman for some reason um but just add this to another underrated performance for him and and i think a good casting as as well it's funny you said you're gonna go under the radar to start i'm gonna go the opposite probably the most obvious one of 2019 is is joaquin phoenix for joker obviously an award winner like we mentioned this was locked up Ever since we saw it on opening night, we knew that Joaquin was going to win. It's awesome seeing a comic book character and actor get the win. So just fantastic. What he brought to the table was electric. And when you talk about 2019 performances, of course, you have to bring this up. Yeah, really. Another uh, under the radar film is Dark Waters. And that is our man Mark Ruffalo in the lead role. Another uh, biopic that is fantastic fantastic um the funny thing about this movie is that mark has this moment where he is kind of enraged just at the system and and everything like that and we watched spotlight pretty recently and it was like the exact same moment which is just hilarious to see but mark ruffalo is is fantastic in this movie um he i think he's the perfect person to play in this movie. And I think he just, he just nails it. Next one I'm going to go with is Saoirse Ronan for little women. I think I stole that one off of your list. Uh, um, I just look, I just look and, and speak. Um, Saoirse Ronan was fantastic in this role. You know, her and Greta Gerwig are, are such a great duo in Hollywood and she was phenomenal for this. I was not familiar with the little women's story. I had never read the book. I'd never seen any other movies. I knew it was iconic of course, but I didn't know, what the story entailed and and she did such a fantastic job as joe i mean i this is one of my favorite performances of 2019 and and for what that character is asked to do she is perfect yeah and i mean just touching on on that as well i think florence Pugh, timothy chalamet laura dern and emma watson i think the whole cast does a fantastic job in that role Another biopic movie under the radar film is Just Mercy, Michael B. Jordan. Um, I think they got the 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 right guy for for this role as well. Um, read this book if you haven't as well. Um, Brian Stevenson fights for uh, equal justice and in fighting for people who were put on death row who don't deserve to be on death row. And this movie is, is fantastic. Um, but the book is fantastic as well. Um, I read it in, in high school and it's just a fantastic book and a fantastic movie as well. So props to Michael B. Jordan and, and cast on that one. This next one I'm excited about, okay. you, you know, you know, when this movie came out, when I saw it, this is all I talked about for two weeks, and that is Roman Griffin Davis in Jojo Rabbit. I mean, we love child performances because they're children. I mean, they're not <laughs> as refined as actors as, as we're used to seeing, but Roman Griffin Davis, oh, my God. He had to compare with 
with Taika Waititi, Scarlett Johansson, Sam Rockwell, all who have won Oscars, uh, some for performance, some for writing, but still, and take on everything that that movie tackles with with Hitler and the Nazis and being kind of carrying the comedic weight. Roman Griffin Davis was phenomenal. I can't wait to see what he does next. I mean, for such a a young kid to deliver such a great performance and outshine those people that I just mentioned. Wow. I was not a huge, I, I definitely judged Jojo Rabbit by its cover before I saw it. I thought it looked way too over the top silly. Um, but he definitely delivers a great performance. And again, you can't talk about 2019 without talking about Roman Griffin Davis. What an outstanding performance. I really hope he's one of the uh, next up and coming actors. Well, this next movie is another biopic, but this movie is is something that was getting Oscar buzz when it happened, when it came out, um, and it has worse scores than it deserves, and that's Bombshell, and that's Charlize Theron as Megan Kelly and Nicole Kidman as Gretchen Carlson. If you pull up Bombshell cast versus real life, they look... Spot on. So similar, especially Charisse Theron. Um, it's crazy, crazy how good both of these do and the women do in the, these roles as well as just how good it looks on camera. Um, so I think that is fantastic. I'll also touch on another fantastic movie. Probably going to steal Nathan's pick on this one. But that is Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story. Love the casting decisions on both of these. Both of these um, got nominated for their respective roles. And I think what they were asked to do, the intensity that they were asked to bring into this movie is just fantastic. It's just crazy how good. I probably stole this from Nathan, so... He is going to be upset at at that one, but I got to gotta bring it well, up. Well, you definitely did steal mine as I was uh, away in the bathroom. But look, for Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson was my winner. I have not seen Judy. I probably will not see Judy, so I recognize that's a little ambitious for me to say. But nonetheless, Scarlett Johansson delivered a performance that she'd win this year. She should have won last year, 100%. Um, you brought up Bombshell as well, yeah. John Lithgow. When you talk about what that performance demanded, when you talk about who he was supposed to play and what that person did in real life, he was very commanding on screen. John Lithgow, I think, is one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood. Great performance in Bombshell as well. Um, so my next one is a movie that I'm not very high on. You're not very high on but it's a performance that absolutely needs to be talked about. And that's Willem Dafoe in the lighthouse. Willem Dafoe is one of my favorite actors. And though we are seemingly the only people alive that do not like the lighthouse, um, us and our girlfriends, at least. Hey, maybe we'll like it if we rewatch it. Willem Dafoe to play this absolutely crazy man does a fantastic job. Him and Robert Pattinson being the only two people in this movie um, he just absolutely dominates. And, and I remember saying when we left what the theater, mean, there's the mermaid. Oh yeah. Right. I remember saying when we left the theater that Willem Dafoe should be the front runner for best supporting actor. Um, not the front runner, excuse me. Cause we had already seen Brad Pitt, but he at least should be nominated, should be the runner up and he didn't even get nominated. So Willem Dafoe deserved it for the lighthouse. Such a gritty performance. Yeah, really. It's funny. I feel like we've said this so many times. We went during uh, sub subtitle night, closed captioning night, <laughs> and that was probably the best unopportune decision we'd ever made because it's so hard to understand them. Another fantastic trio of performances and castings is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, one of my favorite movies from 2019, one of my favorite Tarantino's. Brad Pitt winning best supporting well-deserved Margot Robbie and Leo also fantastic in their respective roles. They just totally fit the time period that this took part 
took place in the sixties of Hollywood, the golden age, they just perfectly fit these roles and fit the timeline. It's fantastic. Yeah. Cliff Booth as Brad, Brad Pitt asked Cliff Booth just was phenomenal. That was on my list as well. Of course, again, walked away with an award, but when you talk about best castings, I mean, this is maybe my favorite Brad Pitt performance. I mean, he's been in so many great movies, played so many great roles, but he's just so likable in this one. Maybe more this is probably his most likable role. What a great uh, acting job there. My next one is going to be a, a trio of people from a movie that I despise. But nonetheless, remember what we're going for. We're going for what the role demands, uh, what they were supposed to do, and if these actors came in and just did a standout job. And they did. I despise this movie, but that's okay. It Chapter 2. Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy, and Bill Hader. Um, we are big fans of the original 2017 It movie. It Chapter 2 is a massive flop. But nonetheless, for them to do that giant time jump from the kids they had in 2017's It, this is phenomenal casting, first of all. Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy, and Bill Hader are all A-list actors who are very talented. Not only that, they look exactly like the younger versions from 2017's It. I remember when we found out that those are the, the actors cast. Oh my gosh. Wonderful. Jessica Chastain looks exactly like Sophia Lillis. Um, James McAvoy looks exactly like the name escapes me. Um, and Bill Hader looks exactly like the, the kid from stranger things. So my goodness, they just look phenomenal. They look exactly like the grown up versions of them. And then not only that, they're a list actors. I can say, hold it to it. Chapter two, keep everything. But at least for casting older versions of people, I had to shout that out. Should I talk about Uncut Gems now or should I just skip that one? No, I mean, I could scream at a camera uh, for for an hour and a half and, and be told I'm Oscar worthy. So should I skip? screaming at a camera takes no acting. Challenge. Should I skip the Knives Out one too? If you want to talk about it, go no, ahead. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, the last one that I, I will talk about is The Irishman, another fantastic trio, De Niro, Pacino, and Pesci. Um, fantastic all three of them, um, Al Pacino as Jimmy Hoffa and Robert De Niro as um, the Irishman, of course. All three of those fantastic performances, but also fantastic casting. I mean, all three of these are just mobster legends. Um, I mean, Al Pacino, The Godfather, Joe Pesci, Goodfellas, Robert De Niro, Goodfellas, and The Godfather. So, all three of these are mob legends when it comes to acting, and they all shined on the stage, even though I'm not a mob movie guy. My last one's a little outside the box, but I absolutely believe in it. You know, when it comes to voice casting, I think voice casting is important. Obviously, it's not as important as who you cast for your live action role, but it's important. You know, there are certain characters that need to sound certain ways, of course, and one of those characters, um, well, I'll, I'll touch on that in one second, but you wouldn't cast certain people for certain roles, right? And one of those is Santa Claus. You would not cast Owen Wilson to voice Santa Claus. You would not cast Vin Diesel to voice Santa Claus. They just don't fit, right? There are some people's voices and how they sound that don't fit certain roles. J.K. Simmons as Santa Claus, I think, was the perfect choice for what that demanded. I know it's a voice role. Just come in and speak some lines into a microphone. But nonetheless, they could have gone in a completely different direction. Look at his co-star, Jason Schwartzman. Would you cast him as Santa Claus? Of course not. He sounds like a little boy, and that's okay. That's just what it is. J.K. Simmons just has that, that emphasizing, commanding, uh, impressive, dominant voice that – I think for Santa Claus and especially for what the movie Klaus was asking that uh, voice actor to do, I think it's a great choice. I normally don't talk about uh, voice actors, but I think they could have gone in a bunch of different directions, especially with a character like Santa, which you have to have a very specific person to do. I couldn't do Santa. I don't think you could do Santa. So they definitely nailed that. All right. So let's move on to 2020 now since we are done with 2019s and why don't you kick us off? Yeah, I mean, 
we can talk about 2019 for a long time as far as castings and as far as fantastic movies. But honestly, it's such a struggle to find good 2020 castings. I mean, it's hard to find a really good 2020 movie in general. So, I mean, I know Nathan's probably going to talk about Uncle Frank. So I'm not, but wow. But just scrolling through, um, I honestly don't have a lot of movies to talk about here, but um, my pick for best actress this year is Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman. And I also think that this was a fantastic casting for her. Um, she just looks like a BA. Like I just wouldn't want to mess with Carrie Mulligan in this movie. Um, why people do, I don't know, but, um, she just kills it in this role and I'm calling it right now. She's my best actress winner. Well, same here. She's my best actress. She was the first person on my list. So best performance of 2020 so far. So she should win. She probably won't, but she should. Um, I'm going to head over to, to one night in Miami and pick out two guys in particular, Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown and Leslie Odom Jr. As Sam cook. First of all, Sam cook, a singer, you need someone who can play Sam cook and can sing. Leslie Odom was the perfect choice. I said this in our one night Miami review. Um, when you're casting someone who was a real life person who was a political activist and who could sing, you need to cast someone who can sing. And Leslie Odom, after Hamilton, wow, great choice. This was perfect. I literally can't see anyone else doing this. You want to talk about perfect castings? That's it right there. That's it right there. Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown. First of all, this man is jacked. Jacked. And Jim Brown in his prime was jacked. He looks like him. He sounds like him. He embodies him. I think the entire cast of One Night in Miami is fantastic and you can hear me talk about that for probably a half hour on our One Night in Miami review. But those two in particular are two people that had to be on this list for me because those are perfect castings. Yeah, really. I mean, go back and listen to the One Night in Miami episode. That's all Nathan will talk about. It, it, it's true. Um, I think another fantastic, and there's not one person who I can pinpoint here, and that's just the whole cast of Trial of the Chicago 7. I mean, you can go down the, the list, honestly, and just name pretty much everybody because they just know these roles. And, I mean, you look up they, – they show the real people at the end, and it's like they check the box on looks, they check the box on the mannerisms, everything about it. It's fantastic. So, shout-out to Trial of the Chicago 7. Well, I'm going to talk about a movie we just talked about today, and that's The Father. And we talked about Anthony Hopkins. This is the best person for this role as an old person, obviously, and as such a talent. I mean, I just I can't see anyone else doing this. I just can't. Anthony Hopkins was the perfect choice for this, and we just spent a bulk of time talking about it, so I'll stop there. But, of course, this had to be on the list, of course. My Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, that's what it was. Viola about. Davis is the best casting. I don't think she should win best actress because she's not in it enough. And we feel very passionate about when you win for performances, you should actually be in the movie substantially. She's not, but nonetheless, she delivers such a great performance for what Ma is and who she was. And again, being able to sing Viola Davis, learn to sing for this movie, um, being just a BA like you talked about with Carrie Mulligan, Viola yeah. Davis absolutely represented that. Every time we talk about Viola Davis on this show, I say it. I think she is one of, if not the most talented actress in Hollywood. She delivers a fantastic performance, not an award-winning performance in Nathan's eyes, but still a great performance. If you're looking to cast Ma, there's no one that's going to do better than her. And then Chadwick Boseman, you know, like I said, Absolute tragedy what happened. We all miss him. Uh, nonetheless, he delivers a great performance. And and for what the role demands, you can't tell me there'd be someone better than that. Well, for my last and final 2020, um, got to talk about my favorite movie of 2020, and that is Soul. I think Jamie Foxx kills it 
voice acting wise, like Nathan said, it's can be easy to just get on a mic and talk and say lines, but I think he absolutely kills it. Same with Tina Fey as 22. I just think both of them kill it in this role and I can just hear their voices now when, when I think of that movie. So fantastic, fantastic. I said it <laughs> enough. I love this movie and it was robbed for best picture. So, so that concludes our best castings of the decade. That was a fun series. Like I said, we broke this up into to three or four different series. So if you want to go back and listen to our other best castings, Phoenix is on a few, Brandon's on a few. Of course, we're still there. So go ahead and uh, hear what we have to say for our other castings. However you're listening to this, go ahead, find our other episodes, listen in the notes section or look in the notes section. You'll find specifically where those are. And we're going to move on to film code. Was Brandon's code word this week. Brandon is obviously not here with us on the show right now, but nonetheless, we have enough to take over. So his code word this week was personality. His first clue was it was a movie from 1995 to 2005. His second clue was that the lead actress has won Best Actress at the Oscars in the last five years. And that a special hint was thumb. Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna lie, this was ridiculously infuriating because <laughs> um, these are very vague. Of course, the the time period is not vague, and best actress is not vague. But thumb is not enough of a clue to to really do anything with. And um, lead who we're suspecting this movie to be, at least who I'm expecting this movie to be. Uh, this person is not listed as the lead actress. I even asked Brandon specifically, is this person listed as the lead on Letterboxd? And I feel very strongly about my pick. I don't know your pick, but it sounds like you feel very strongly about your pick. This person is not listed as the lead for mine. So Brandon, if this is what it is, you're in trouble, man, because this was misleading as hell. Um, nonetheless, children. Um, children. Let's uh, Let's move on. So... My guess for this, actually, why don't, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, I was going to say. Um, yeah, so Nathan was, was texting back and forth, Brandon. I didn't know that. So I knew that it had to be in the lead. Um, I knew how to go off the last five. Brie Larson, Olivia Coleman, and Emma Stone were pretty much crossed off the list for me. Um, so just left Renee Zellweger and Frances McDormand went through Francis, couldn't find anything that had personality. And the way that I did this is I looked who the lead was and the movie reading through. Um, I came across this. Let's see what year did it come out? Okay. 2000 movie um, with Jim Carrey, Renee Zellweger. And that is me, myself and Irene. Um, It's basically about, a state trooper, which is Jim Carrey, who has multiple personality disorder. So that's where personality screamed out to me. I don't know where a thumb comes into play, but it's the only movie that deals with personality. Renee Zellweger is not the lead. Jim Carrey is the lead. But I feel like this is just so close to what Brain was looking for that I had to pick it. Um, if it is, Phoenix has already started a couple film code wars with with his outrageous clues and if this is if this is not it then brandon is looking to start a war as well me myself and irene is what i landed on as well i know that brandon's a big fan of jim carrey this fits the time period renee zellweger is in this movie i specifically asked brandon if the lead actress he is referring to is the first person listed on letterbox and he said yes and i reconfirmed that um I don't, I don't, I don't know how you get that confused because when you look on Letterbox, she is not the first person listed. I don't know in what stratosphere that is confusing, but it was misleading for sure. Um, so I went with that as well, despite it not directly going against the clues that he gave. But I'm going with me myself and Irene as well. 
obviously, Brandon is out here on the show today. He sent me a Snapchat with the answer. I have obviously, as you can see, not Not opened it. So I have no idea what it is. We are going to open it live on the show now. We did this with Nick a few months back when he wasn't able to make it. And it was his code word. All right, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. It is me, Me, myself, myself, and and Irene. Irene. So points for Nick and I. Um, I think I am up seven on at least Phoenix now, which is great. But Brandon, you intentionally misled us. That is not cool, dude. So nonetheless, happy to get this code word correct. Great job. Yes, sir. We are code breakers. Love to see it. All right. So let's wrap this up. We'll figure out whose uh, code word it is next time. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. We talked the father, we talked best castings, and we were able to code break an intentionally misleading code word. So it was a productive day nonetheless. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed spending your time with Nick and I. Nick, where can everyone find you? Yep, you can find me on Letterboxd at Nick Spain, doing a lot of fun stuff over there. I feel like I say that every week, but that's the truth. My name's Nathan Pig. You can find me on Letterboxd at Nathan Pig. I'd prefer that you follow the show. Over on Twitter, on TikTok, on Instagram, all at FilmCodePod. You're really missing out if you don't follow us over there. However you're listening to this, please go ahead and check out our other episodes. It's not always just Nick and I talking. If you like us, great. If you want to hear some other voices, they're over there as well. We talked about so many great things um, over the course of this last year. You could listen to our episode for days nonstop and still enjoy plenty of content. Have you listening to this, you can find our other episodes. Thank you so much for joining us from Nick, from myself. This has been Film Code. Have a great day.